Welcome back to the Villa Di Maria podcast, coming to you from Villa Di Maria Montessori School in Kirkwood, Missouri. I'm your host, Sarah Mozicki, and today we get to learn from Melissa Anderson, founder and head of school at MAP St. Louis, a Montessori adolescent program serving grades 7 through 12. Melissa is a wealth of fascinating and practical information about the third plane of development, Montessori's term for the teenage years. She offers wisdom regarding how adults can best support adolescents through all the big changes that happen in this stage. I so enjoyed discovering more about MAP's incredible learning environment and all the unique ways it meets the needs of the adolescent. Whether you're a parent considering school options for your child or just want to better understand the teenagers in your life, this episode is for you. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here with me today, Melissa. Can you start out by just introducing yourself and your connection to MAP and sort of how you got started in Montessori? What pulled you in to Montessori and then later to start this? adolescent program. Sure. Um, My name is Melissa Anderson. Um, I am a founder of MAP St. Louis and also head of school. I also teach. Um, And I actually came into Montessori as an approach to education as a parent first. Um, I was working um, in the nonprofit sector, and I had a young daughter at that time and um, began looking into approaches to education that I, I felt good about for her um, when, you know, early childhood um, time frame. And so I did some exploration, and the more I learned about Montessori, the more I felt like that was a good fit for her. And so I found Villa Di Maria as a... Um, as a local Montessori school and fell in love immediately and my daughter enrolled. And so, um, I spent some time as a parent, you know, attending parent education events and just kind of seeing the experience that she was having and feeling like it was such a remarkable experience for my child. Meanwhile, um, kind of as I was working in nonprofit and kind of toward, um, social justice oriented outcomes. I was feeling like I wanted to find a way I was happy with the work that I was doing, but also wanted to find a way that I felt like I could make more impact, um, broaden my reach, um, beyond what I was doing. And, and so that desire and what I was kind of learning about Montessori and education as kind of a means toward justice and peace, um, really kind of coalesced in a way that that had me thinking like maybe I maybe I should learn more about this for myself. Um, maybe there is there's something here that I want to find out more about. So I actually started working at Villa several years ago. Um, first kind of in an administrative capacity and then eventually ended up um, working in the upper elementary environment as well. Um, and that was incredibly rewarding and the more time I spent in that environment the more I was like yes this is this is what I want to be doing this is the thing um and I kept delving more deeply into you know learning about Montessori um I 
I received primary training from Dr. Haynes at the Montessori Training Center, um, and I learned about um, the third plane of development and Montessori's approach to adolescent education um, at some point while I was at Phila. And when I started to learn about that, I thought, whoa, like, this is really this is really speaking to me. Um, and I, I worked with the upper elementary students, but have always had a propensity toward adolescents and older students. And so I was really excited about that. And so, you know, as, as we had students and families at Villa interested in um, knowing more about, you know, what really happy with the experience that they were having at Villa in the upper elementary environment and thinking like, you know, what comes after this? What follows this? Um, you know, we started doing the work of thinking about what it would look like to implement an adolescent program here in St. Louis. Um, and so I had a, a community of families and collaborators working with me to, um, to build MAP, essentially, and a group of, of families jumped off of that um, program as they culminated and and that group of students map started in 2016 with a group of seventh grade students um that group of students just graduated high school last year so it was very celebratory um and so we now have a full 7 to 12 continuum um and I think are kind of in a new phase now of forward movement and development um, following that culmination. So That's cool. When you started out, how many students did you have and we how had, many students do you have now? We had nine students our first year. Um, we have 38 students now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So I want to get introduce people more to MAP and the adolescent program and how Montessori approaches the adolescent. And, and so if you could give us just a brief background on sort of how Montessori sees the planes of development and sort of what is the third plane, what's unique about that stage of um, child, sure. <laughs> student, person. <laughs> sure. Um, there's a lot to say, I think, but the yeah. simplest way, I think, to kind of think about it um, is to understand, you know, if the first plane is, you know, birth through age six, kind of a... Um, a child is is seeking physical independence um, during that time, and then you know six to twelve, the elementary or second plane um, is kind of a cosmic experience toward mental independence. The third plane, um, Montessori referred to the adolescent as the social newborn. Um, in many ways, the third plane is really similar to the first plane in the extent to which the sensitivities are experienced and um, and the amount of change and growth that happens for the child during that time. Um, so that the adolescent is striving for social independence. You know, at age 18, at the end of that third plane, the idea is that we have a fully functioning, you know, a, adult ready to enter society and contribute and find meaning and value. Um, so that is the work that the adolescent is doing, um, during that period. Yeah. So like, what are some of the strengths that the third plane child has, um, that to offer and what are some of their challenges that, that they face during that period? 
I think that's an interesting question. I think that actually, I might think about it like their strengths are their challenges. Sure, um, sure. And so, so you know, something something that comes to mind is, um, you know, they're 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 risk takers. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the opportunities that they have for risk taking, um, that can be amazing. You know, they want to do these things that are scary and hard and they want to challenge themselves. And I think that if they're in a space or in a setting where they're supported to be able to take healthy risks Mm -hmm. and, you know, apply that propensity, um, toward areas of growth and passion, um, that is a strength. And then we know that adolescents can sometimes, you know, practice risk-taking behaviors that are not healthy or safe for them. Mm -hmm. So so I think that that is um, an example of that. Um, They, you know, they are... They are really interested in um, understanding why they're doing what they're doing, understanding the purpose, you know, like um, what, what is the reason that I'm being asked to learn math, Mm -hmm. for example, or, you know, why is, um, you know, learning this thing or why is time management important to me? Why is it important that I use a calendar Mm -hmm. or a schedule or learn these sorts of skills? And so like really helping to connect them with the meaning behind that or the value behind that is, um, because that is a way that they or a way that they really um, feel compelled to engage in the things that help them achieve this ultimate independence. Um, they, you know, that's that's something that really I think leverages the, that as a strength. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they feel like you know something is arbitrary or they feel like they don't really understand the meaning of it and it's disconnected from the ultimate reason that we feel like it's something that they need foundationally, um, you know, we see students or, or kids just generally kind of resist. They're like, this right. doesn't matter to me. Right. Um, yeah. And so what about um, for parents, if their child is maybe starting to enter into the third plane, what are some things that they might see? You mentioned some of these like risk-taking behaviors or um, what are other things they might notice to clue them in that, oh, maybe this a change is happening here and, like, how can I be um, supportive of that and be aware and not maybe so worried that something's wrong, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's one, one indicator is because, again, it is a social plane of development, and we, we see elementary children certainly socialize, mm-hmm. but it starts to look a little bit different when they hit the third plane because they almost sometimes cannot focus on things that they maybe could focus on before because their brains are in a different space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe they were really organized before. They liked to just, you know, kind of sit and do this thing. And, you know, it was easy to kind of draw their attention to to something that they were interested in before. And they may just really not, you know, it might actually be um, kind of an emotional thing to ask an adolescent to remove themselves from a social setting to come do something, you know, or engage with something that wasn't um, hard to engage them in before. So that would be one indicator. Um, their their bodies start changing, um, you know, and I mean, that is a, we, we see a part of that, but it, it's really, really, um, you know, a, a big, deep experience for them. Um, their sleep patterns start to change. They, you know, they want to be, it's, it's also, I think important to keep in mind that it's, 
because they are they know probably not um consciously a lot of the time but they know that they're striving for this um independence and and developmentally that's where they're trying to go and that's scary and that's hard and so sometimes they they want to get there but they also resist mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. things that that folks are doing to try to help them so I think to the extent it, again kind of likening them to you know a first plane child in that way I think like you know, knowing that uh, a first plane child is going to take a while to to maybe get their shoes on, but that's really important to them. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately that's helping them achieve that level of physical independence that they're striving for. Mm-hmm. You know, to the extent that we can um, see things that adolescents want to be independent with and can be independent with and maybe are going to need a little bit of time and support and can offer that patience to help them work through that. Um, that is, you know, that is something that I think parents can really keep in mind. Um, right. Right. And, and patience, not, um, you know, maybe taking offense to, yes. <laughs> that's sometimes hard. Right. Um, you know, but, but it, I think keeping in mind that adolescence is a really turbulent time for the adolescent themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that like, you know, to the extent that it can kind of be a partnership and a supportive. Right. And that starts Sorry. around age 12 or sometimes it can be earlier too? It certainly can be earlier. I, I know that, you know, um, elementary guides start to see signs of it right. before, before children transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some children it's later, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we have kids come in at seventh grade who mm-hmm. are like in a lot of ways, maybe haven't quite hit it yet. Right. You know, and right. it usually starts happening you know it's it's definitely a spectrum um for each individual child they might one day look like a a child and the next day look like an angsty teenager Mm -hmm. and then the next day look like a child again um and then you know no no one right student is the same sure um so so then what's what was Montessori's Dr. Montessori's vision for the third plane and like how how we can best serve them in that time, you know, as far as a educational place environment, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really identified some of the key things. Again, working toward social independence, um, she saw that that adolescents really needed a place, an environment that they could have ownership of. So they were, you know, working more side by side with the adults Mm -hmm. in the environment, really partnered um, versus kind of being expected to, you know, be taught. We we call ourselves guides Mm -hmm. um, and we do strive to work side by side with students versus, um, you know, standing in front of them and telling them what to do and why and, and, you know, kind of expecting compliance in that way. Um, and that was what Montessori saw to be true. She, um, she saw adolescents as, you know, owners of the space, if they're building, if they're contributing, if they're establishing norms, if they are, um, you know, establishing the schedule, we build the schedule with our students, um, you know, and we troubleshoot it together. We, um, you know, talk about community issues together um, versus kind of a, a hierarchical structure, um, which adolescents just, you know, don't, don't value in the same way. You right, know? Right, and, right. 
Yeah. Um, so, so that was a big piece of it. And, and then, you know, within that is, is an expectation, I think, of student ownership um, through activities, not just, you know, these like, schedule frameworks or, or norms or whatever, but also like the physical, the physical space. We don't hire a cleaning crew. Our students manage um, the, the jobs system, um, which is a big, big job. It's hard actually to oversee a whole group of adolescents in an effective cleaning policy, but they do that um, work themselves. And when it doesn't go well, inevitably at times they troubleshoot that and, you know, we're there alongside them to help them figure that out, but they, they are doing that work. So we have students that are doing those kinds of things. We have students that oversee the kitchen. We have students that oversee the library and they are the real owners of those things. We, we give them space to try. We give them support when they need it. We give them space to fail and try something different, which is also a really important opportunity for them to have to kind of like build resilience in a, in a supported environment. Um, so, so those are all things that ensuring that there's room for authentic work. And that folks are not, adults are not coming in, you know, on the front end to make things too cushy and easy because that really removes the student ownership piece mm -hmm. from it. So that's um, certainly one piece of it. Another part of Montessori's vision for the third plane, um, again, towards social independence with students are super independent are super interested in economic independence. So she conceived of this microeconomy model, which allows students to, you know, identify a need, create a business, generate, um, you know, income related to that business. Um, and so that might be through gardening and then selling produce or, you know, animal husbandry, selling eggs, or it might be we have students, you know, who get involved in things like jewelry making or ceramics or things like that. We have a group of students right now um, who are really interested, and we see this. So this is what Dr. Montessori said, and then we see these students coming in, and they're like so interested in anything related to economic exchange. They like want to know all about Bitcoin and Forex and all, like, you know, they're, they're more on top of that kind of thing than a lot of adults are, I think, yeah. these days. Um, so, so that sensitivity is certainly there. Um, and then opportun opportunities for them to, like, really, you know, engage with that, that interest are, are important. We have a, a group of students right now who are really interested in the dog walking business. So they are, you know, doing research and putting together a business model. And we have another young entrepreneur who um, wants to get a business – going regarding vending machines so he's like going wow. to city hall to like look into permits and figure out what he needs to do and like getting his capital together and hmm. um they want this is the work that they want to be doing and so just leaving space for that kind of thing too that's so cool mm -hmm. i love hearing those stories and so then from the little that i know about montessori's idea for the third plane of development i, I she talked a lot about sort of an agrarian sort of society right and like being out in in the country right so how do you then adapt that to and and um tell me about your thought process in this choice of location too sure. here in the city of st louis sure i think the agrarian vision is like has two pieces to it 
One being that need-based work that I was referencing earlier. So a farm is a place that there is never a shortage of work. So I think that that's one part of it. Um, So I think that uh, a campus kind of anywhere Mm -hmm. that really is intentionally designed to ensure that there is sufficient work Mm -hmm. um, meets that need. I think the other part of the agrarian vision is nature, and I think we continue to see all of this evidence regarding the importance of nature um, for our health and well-being, you know, not just adolescents, but all humans. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that we do a lot of thinking and prioritizing around also we um so we are located in the city and we are located in grand center intentionally um and i can talk a little bit more about that choice in a minute but regarding the the nature aspect we actually do have um an ever-evolving urban farm model going on our campus we do have nine hens um we have garden beds we have students involved in um stewardship of a rain garden that our students uh, installed on our campus um as an msd project a few years ago and you know there are a lot of folks in the city of st louis doing um you know work to to bring nature together with with city spaces um so we have worked with um and collaborated with um folks here in grand center there's um there are some spaces we we go down the street to a pulitzer space called park like really frequently which is uh, another rain garden installation that is just intended for neighbor neighborhood visitors to come and use in whatever way they find meaningful and that um landscape artist has worked with us and our students to help us you know consider ways that we can kind of incorporate some of those things we take our classes down the street and then and do classes at park lake or at spring church or in outdoor spaces we also um prioritize nature-based trips pretty frequently we take multi-day trips several times a year we frequent places like the Shaw Nature Reserve um we do river floats with um big muddy adventures and are able to um you know stay in natural settings and spend time on the big rivers and and um those sorts of things we like to get out and do hiking as um physical expressions things like that pretty frequently um, so we do we do really find a lot of value in being out in nature, ensuring that students have space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also really do value being here in the city of St. Louis. That's something that we have a lot of pride in. And part of the reason that we wanted to be here in this Grand Center neighborhood is because Again, thinking about, you know, as students start to approach adulthood and they start to think about what they're going to do next, one thing that Montessori really believed about the third playing child was that they're, you know, it's better. Whereas, you know, with a younger child, you have a very specific um, adult as a as an aspect of the prepared environment. Um, for adolescents, it's actually beneficial for them to have exposure to 
many, many adults because they themselves are looking at adults and thinking, oh, this is how this adult approaches adulthood and this is how this adult approaches adulthood and, you know, these are the choices that these folks make or the ways in which they behave with one another. And so the more that they're able to see different folks Mm -hmm. um, living as adults, the more they're they're able to start to understand how they themselves will, um, you know, culminate um, as adults. So we want them to have opportunities to connect with as many people as they can. And they do. We go off campus a lot. It's not novel. Um, It's not, we don't call them field trips. They just, you know, go down the street for whatever. I could list off, I think, several places they've been like just in this week. And it's part of the program. We really think about Grand Center as an extension of our campus. Mm. We've had students this week down at the Contemporary Art Museum Mm. and the Pulitzer. We had students um, ushering at the Metro Theater Company or, you know, cleaning up Strauss Park down down the street across from the Fox. Um, We take students to Forest Park or Tower Grove Park frequently for various expressions. A group was there at Tower Grove yesterday for photography. and they're connecting with the adults, mm-hmm. too. Um, the the um, community director at Grand Center, Inc. is in direct communication with students about um, service opportunities and things like that. And then that builds toward students having opportunities for internships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a, a really great way for them to really start to understand, you know, if I'm interested in this, this potential career pathway what's that going to feel like what's that going to look like how can I start getting this you know dipping my toe into this to see if this is something a direction I really want to go um so that's a big part of why we want to be here in the city Mm -hmm. um there's just so much to offer and so many folks we find are really eager to engage with our students Mm -hmm. um so that's really a big part of the heart and soul of what we've got going on that's so cool. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about some of the subject matter that the students work on throughout the day or like maybe what a typical day looks like for them? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. We have, I think sometimes there's a misconception that there's no schedule. Mm-hmm. And, um, and unlike a Montessori elementary environment, there is. And students want that. At, at the third plane, they're ready to feel that structure a bit. Um, you know, it, it provides a sense of order that we all know that we need um, to feel good about our days, I think. Um, so they do have schedules. Again, we, we do – our schedules – show up a little bit more flexibly and we change them a little bit more frequently, maybe at, you know, kind of the direction of our community consensus than might be true in other settings. But, but for the most part, we have, um, academic mornings. This is not true every morning. Wednesday mornings are kind of an outlier there, but we focus on academic core, um, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and students have, um, have classes that, you know, would be categorized pretty traditionally. Language and literature, um, history, um, math, science, the, you know, kind of standard academic Mm -hmm. courses. The approaches to those may look a little bit different. We're also um, an IB world school, and so our curriculum is kind of, 
designed such that we have a continuum built to work up toward that diploma program, if that's a goal for students um, in 11th and 12th grade. Mm -hmm. So the courses that we offer um, within our academic curriculum are built to work toward that ultimate outcome. Um, We have a lot of space, however, in our afternoon times um, on those same academic days. We open a lot of space in the afternoons for things like, um, we we call it kind of projects and independent time, which sounds really vague and it it is kind of intentionally. Um, We really encourage students to think about what they want to do. And, you know, try to not kind of give too much more direction than that um, to really give them opportunities to think about independent projects based on their their interests or collaborative projects that they might like to do together. And not, you know, the, the, we're a mixed-age environment. We have students 7 through 12 in the same space. For academic purposes, they are more often... Um, it's not 100% limiting, but it, they're more often in cohorts that are, you know, age or grade level um, appropriate, but, but there is some flexibility there. But in project time, anybody can work with anyone, and they do. They work all over the place, and it's, it's pretty magnificent. Um, we, so we, we have students who are, you know thinking like, oh, I want to, I mentioned that dog walking business that's happening, that is happening as a student project, you know, so we, we might sit down with a new student who's not experienced something like that. Sometimes the framework of, of that open time is a little bit actually intimidating for students. So we will provide them with whatever resources they need, you know, first, what are you interested in? Oh, I'm interested in animals. Okay, well, you know, what would you like to do with animals? Oh, I'm actually also interested in making money and here's what I want to do with it. Like, you know, and so kind of help coach them into that. So we have a group of students who got really excited about that and they're working on that. We have students who want to do, you know, big baking endeavors um, across the span of a quarter um, with with various objectives and, and outcomes. Um, and then we have students who do use that time for internships or external opportunities, things like that. We also have some elective offerings that do change based on student interest. Right now we have things like visual arts offerings. We have a sustainable agriculture um, cohort right now who's going off-site every day to work with aquaponics beds and, um, you know, in some some nearby um community garden spaces right now I think they're harvesting and kind of closing up the gardens for the seasons and then they'll start you know propagating you know in the winter and things like that Hmm. um so really kind of any anything that they can conceive of during that time um is what we want them to be doing during that time it's a really dynamic thing to see um and and again I think that's really that is something that I think um looks a little bit intimidating on paper um, to see like this big open space and just, you know, inviting folks to think like, what would you like to do with it? And, and we find that that's probably students' favorite mm. time of the day. Um, 
Yeah. That's cool. I'm curious to, do you use any sort of grading system or how do you assess growth? You know? Yeah, we are mastery based. So the way that that works is that in any class or non-academic area projects, this applies as well. Um, expressions. So hiking, you know, what are the expectations and how do we, how do we work toward, toward assessing ourselves around those? Um, so we provide rubrics. We work together frequently with the students to identify what, you know, the objectives are and what that, that, what mastery looks like according to those objectives. And then students self-assess and we come together quarterly um, usually with this data based on these rubrics, and students will give themselves an indicator for a, a term, a period of time, mm-hmm. um, whatever we're measuring. And so that becomes a conversation then. Mm-hmm. So the student will usually say, you know, here's what I think I, I, you know, I'm demonstrating at this point, and here's the evidence that I have to suggest that, and the guide is going to be there and say, you know, like, I agree based on the same evidence or, you know, I, I might actually challenge that a little bit and here's why. What we find a lot of times is that students are actually a little bit harder on themselves mm-hmm. than we think that they need to be. And so a lot of times those conversations are, you know, actually, you know, I really saw you show up in this way and, you know, here's what I, here's some evidence I have to suggest that maybe you actually um, have mastered this a little bit more than you, you are giving yourself credit for. Um, so we use these mastery indicators, and this is what students see. As they start to get older, we kind of back-end do have um, a numerical system that we, we keep um, record of that allows us to have, you know, kind of an external-facing transcript available for students. And um, they start to, as they get older, start to understand when they're ready to understand what that means and not just work toward that number, yeah. um, they start to engage with that part mm. um, more too. Yeah, that's cool. Did you have more you wanted to say about that? No, not necessarily. That's, I yeah. can talk a lot I'm about sure. any of the things I right. don't want to over-explain. Uh, so. That's great. No, it's, yeah. all, it's interesting. I, I, it makes me think about too how do you connect the to the outside world then as far as making sure that sh- that the students are prepared for the next step, right? Like a further schooling or profession. Um, because MAP is, uh, is unique from other middle school, high schools, um, how have you seen students transition to things beyond um, high schools with their unique uh, training here? Sure. Um, well, every student has different goals. So that's really important to keep in mind. And so one way that we, you know, a couple of ways that I think we account for that part of it is that we are small intentionally. It allows us to really, really know each student and their family. We have goal setting meetings with families and students annually to like think like, okay, what are our goals for the year? And like as students get older, like where are we, what are we looking at? What are we thinking, you know, is, is next step here? Um, and how are we going to set some goals to help ensure that you're ready for that? In most cases, that means college. For most students, that's that's where they're going. And so as students, you know, start to move through high school, um, we are starting to talk to them about that. We actually had a, a, a 
college admission officer come visit yesterday, and we do this somewhat regularly. We what, One thing that's pretty cool about our environment is that, you know, um, there are separate meetings that are kind of focused on college counseling workshops and things like that for the students who are, are in those cohorts. But our full community was invited to come and hear this this individual talk about this university and we had middle schoolers show up so they're we're not pushing them into that if that's not what they want to hear about it's not necessary that they hear about that at that time but they're starting to actually get that exposure to some of these doors that may be open to them later if that's the direction that they want to go um really early on so so we do have for older students some more um focused college counseling or post-secondary counseling kind of aligned with whatever their goals are um, but really, it's kind of something that that all students, because of the mixed age, age nature of our environment, are able to start to internalize kind of as like an element of culture that that many students are working toward. Um, but yeah, we're we're able to um, start talking to them as they get older. You know, about we we do not do a lot of um, traditional testing, but we do have annual um, standardized testing that we talk to students about. We kind of set it up as a week um, that in a lot of ways I think they think is really fun. We talk, we use it as an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, good test taking practices, like eat a healthy breakfast. So we'll make them breakfast in the morning so that they're able to kind of see this is, this is what that might look like, and that's fun for them, and that kind of gets their day off to a great start. And then when we are not in testing, you know, they'll, like, go to the park, or they'll, you know, get up and move and, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, apply a different part of their brain for a while and have some fun. Um, we talk about what testing is, not as a measure of an individual or intelligence, but as a way to show a very specific type of data to specific sorts of institutions that might be interested in that. And so if that's aligned with your goals, this is how you do that. Mm-hmm. This is a skill to have, mm-hmm. but not as a, a, a measure of who you are as a person. Um, and students are really receptive to that. And we find that, you know, I think sometimes that there's a, there's a concern that if students aren't doing that a lot, they won't know how to do it. And we don't find that to mm-hmm. be true. Um, as long as they are exposed to it and understand the, the meaning behind it, if that's what their goal is, we don't we don't actually see students have a hard time with that. They get excited. Um, you know, our older students are, are really intrinsically academically minded, we find, um, which is pretty, pretty exciting. So they're kind of like asking the questions about like, what do I want to do now? You know, like they're sometimes a little earlier, I think, yeah. even, you know, um, than a lot of students. We had a 10th grade student this morning who's like, wanting want to know if he can take some of his IV assessments next year just uh, to get on the game. And I'm like, uh, well, we'll have conversations about that. Yeah. But we're able to, yeah, really kind of customize, I think, the experience to each student when they're ready. That's um, so, so cool. Yeah. I love that. So as we wrap up here, like, are there other things that you want to share? You think parents would benefit from knowing about like what makes MAP special um, and helpful for students? Um, yeah, or any any stories, um, ways that you've seen uh, MAP really impact positively the students here or the community at large? 
<laughs> that was a big question. Right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can gosh. go wherever you want with that. <laughs> gosh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I could tell so many stories, um, and I wouldn't. I don't know exactly where to start with that. I can say um, it's exciting to have alum at this time because we. You know, I mean, that is the adult now Mm -hmm. that has experienced um, the continuum and has been in that setting. And so we've actually gotten some really interesting feedback from alum this year kind of regarding how how prepared they have felt for um, where they're at now. Mm -hmm. You know, folks that are in college and they're like (laughs) um, actually kind of going back to the grades based thing. This is a little bit funny to me. Um, I was talking to one of our alum recently, and they were talking about how they were, um, you know, in a class, and they had been given this assignment, and their peers were kind of sitting there thinking, you know, um, yeah, but, like, how am I supposed to have this formatted? Or, you know, how is this supposed to be set up? Or what's supposed to be going on? And and at one point, the professor, it sounds like, was just kind of like, look, (laughs) here's actually what I'm looking for. And it was not related to those sorts of, you know, parameters, but instead was looking for critical thinking and looking for the ability to make connections Mm. and to really, you know, kind of um, reflect Mm. and connect with the content um, in a meaningful, um, meaningful way. And that felt really comfortable to the student I was talking to and it seemed really disconnected from, from some of their peers. So I felt like that was an interesting, um, an interesting bit of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our students really are able to think, you know, our approach is really holistic. And, and, and I think that folks sometimes assume that that means that there is a, a disconnect from academics, but, Instead, intellectual engagement is a part of holistic. And when all of those holistic pieces are addressed, we find um, students are really able to do these things. You know, employers or college professors or whomever they're going to be interacting with next are looking for. They're able to think critically. They're able to, you know, pivot and be flexible and make connections and and um, so I don't know if that really answers your question. Certainly, I we have so many students with such great stories that are really exciting to talk about. Yeah, um, that's that great. I'm sure, there's not time. I know, right? <laughs> there's so much we can talk about. Yeah. That's really great. Um, what about so? If parents are interested in learning more, what are some next steps they could take? Where can they learn? They should come see it. It's the absolute best way to learn more. It's it's. I love talking about it and there's no possible way to do it justice Mm -hmm. um, without seeing it. So I I think that, I think that it's good for folks to, if they've not had an adolescent before, do what they can to learn a little bit more about the third plane of development, to understand, um, you know, how, kind of what's coming, what to expect and think about what, you know, their and their child's values are. Mm -hmm. Um, in thinking about secondary education, and then they should they should see a lot of places and, yeah. and see what best aligns with their values. But for Matt, right. for sure, um, just coming and seeing it and talking to students, mm. talking to staff, um, 
yeah. I think is the is the very best way. Yeah, cool. So they just go onto your website and email someone to set up a time to do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's an admission section. We actually have a new website going live soon. But in the meantime, the website is that is there is um is straightforward and there yeah, there are instructions, but but folks are welcome to reach out in any way. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. Thank you. And share your story thank you. about this special place. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for, for talking with me. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked our show, please share it with others and leave us a raving review so it can find its way to those who need it. Follow us on Instagram and like our Facebook page to find out more about Montessori and Villa Di Maria. This is Sarah Mozicki with the Villa Di Maria podcast. Until next time.